Hey, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Is that all I got? 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're, uh, we're slowly but surely, very deliberately, uh, easing back into a regular uh, schedule of services. Uh, turn me down just a little bit up here. Um, the, um, in two weeks, two Wednesday nights, not this Wednesday night, but the next, the following Wednesday night, we'll begin our girls' ministry, Impact Girls' Ministry. We have, uh, before COVID hit, we had close to 100 girls on Wednesday night uh, under the 7th grade and below involved in discipleship ministry. Since COVID, we've ceased that, but I think it'll be the 16th we're going to start that back up. And then in the 1st of October, uh, we're going to start up uh, our Royal Ranger ministry for our boys again. We had close to 75 involved in that on Wednesday nights before COVID. So we're slowly but de- and deliberately trying to ease some things back in. Making sure every step we're taking the proper precautions uh, given to us by the CDC and our, our local government. We want to be good stewards. We want to be co- great community citizens. We want to protect our people. But we're going to worship God too. We're going to worship God, all right? And eventually there comes a point. You know, there's not a week that goes by that I do not receive an email, a telephone call, a text, or some message online that says, we would come, but we see so many people without masks. And then I get the same week, I'll get same messages. We would come, but we don't want to wear a mask, and we don't want to feel uncomfortable if we don't have a mask. You can't make everybody happy. You know, eventually you've got to take some personal responsibility for your own life and for your own family. And let me just say, we're doing everything in our power to fulfill and advise and adhere to the restrictions that we know about. And we're going to continue to do that and try to serve the Lord and minister to this community as best possible. We just ask that you give us a little benefit of the doubt. Okay, just give us the benefit of the doubt. We're doing our best as we can, and, but we'll always put your safety at the highest priority of our ministry here. Second Timothy, Second Timothy chapter 1, Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. I'm going to read it out of the uh, uh, New King James. Second Timothy 1, 7 says this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power and of love, and of sound mind. Second Timothy 1 7. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and sound mind. Now turn over to Mark chapter 5. Turn over to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, verse number 21. Mark chapter 5, verse number 21. How many brought your Bibles? Mark chapter 5, verse number 21. Notice what it says. I'm going to read out the New Living Translation. Mark 5, verse 21, out of the New Living. It says, Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake, where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. 
heal her so she can live. Verse 24, Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. Now turn with me to verse 35. Look over to verse Mark chapter 5, verse number 35. While Jesus was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. There is no use troubling the teacher now. Verse 36. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Notice what he said. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Just have faith. Verse 37, then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion, weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead, she's only asleep. Verse 40. The crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave, and he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talithakum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Thank God for his word. Every day, all day... The media sources are filling our world with frightening information. Every day, all day, fear, sex, and violence gets people's attention. So that's what the media is promoting. Fear, sex, and violence. And for our friends whose age and physical limitations keep them quarantined in front of their TVs, Their minds are consumed with fear and frightening information. Now, the results of continually taking in fearful and hopeless information is causing an increase of mental illness, a rise in addictions, and an alarming rate of suicides. Did you hear me? I said what we're experiencing with COVID right now is not just physical. With all the fear that's being promoted, we're seeing an alarming increase in mental harassment. We're seeing a great increase in addictions. And we're seeing an alarming rate of increases in suicides. COVID-19 has now reached beyond the scope of physical disease. COVID-19 is now breaking down the emotional health of people of all ages. It's hurting us. More than physically, it's hurting us. COVID-19, now listen, COVID-19 will eventually run its course and become one of many strains of viruses which have medication and vaccines to eradicate it. Understand, in time, COVID-19 will run its course. It will have a vaccine. It might always be with us, but they will get it under control eventually. But the fear that COVID is leaving in its wake will cause damage for generations to come. 
Yes, we must attack COVID. And yes, we must be careful. And we are so praying and thankful for all of the medical professionals who are doing everything in their power. But I want you to know there's another sinister plot at hand. Satan is trying to destroy people's emotional health through this situation. We know and we've learned that fear is an emotion. An emotion experienced in anticipation of some specific pain or danger and is usually accompanied by a desire to flee or to fight. Fear can be real or fear can be imagined. Now everybody hang with me here. They're having a little problem getting it up on the screen. But just hang with me. They'll get it up there. We've got Katie back there now. And if Katie is back there... The world is at rest. If I'd have saw John go back there, I'd have said, let's hit the doors. But Katie is back there. The world is at rest. Last Sunday, I shared with you about healthy fear versus unhealthy fear. And the reason I want to talk to you about fear is because the thing we're dealing with more now is fear. The medical professional, they are doing a dynamic job doing on the, on the physical part. They are studying, they are testing, they are researching, they are trying everything in their power. We're so blessed with medical, a medical professional team, especially in this city. Our hospital and our doctors, they're on top of it. They are working overtime. Our nurses, our first responders, they are doing everything medically known to medical science to eradicate and to protect our community. They are doing a dynamic job and we're so blessed to be in a community with such good health care. But I want you to know there's something that's taking place called fear that's gone beyond the hospital, gone beyond the doctor's office. It's getting in your home. And it's getting on your children. And you just can't uh, say don't fear and that stuff's going to go away. It just doesn't work that way. Well, last week we talked about fear. A healthy fear, talked about fear, healthy fear and unhealthy fear. A healthy fear, just as a reminder, a healthy fear serves as a warning signal for impending danger or a life-threatening situation. If we don't sense the pain of fear in certain situations, we would unknowingly react inappropriately at times and place our lives at risk. The child who touches the hot stove because of a lack of knowledge of healthy fear. They don't know what it would do with them, it to them if they put their hand on that burner of that stove. They do not have a healthy a knowledge of a healthy fear. You and I should have a knowledge of healthy fear. If we put our hand on that hot burner, we should know that's going to burn us. And since we don't want to feel that pain, we will resist that temptation. We will resist. That's what a healthy fear does. When we have a healthy fear, we'll not put ourselves in certain situations. I shared with you last week. There's some things that I've learned as an adult I shouldn't do that I didn't know as a teenager. As a teenager, I thought I was uh, indestructible. As an adult, I realize I'm destructible. And there's some things I will not do, some places I will not go, and there's some limits I will not put on my body today that I put on my body when I was a younger person because I didn't have a healthy fear of what limits will do or not do in my life. So there is such a thing as a healthy 
fear. A healthy fear, when we have a healthy fear, it triggers the fight or flight response in our life. The fight response causes us to defend ourselves against uh, danger. And the flight response warns us to flee a dangerous situation. We had that happen just this past week in our house. It was 3.12 in the morning, and all of a sudden my alarm went off. I woke straight up out of bed. I was dazed. I was in a dead asleep, and I looked at the panel. I, I looked at the pa- alarm panel, and it says, Back door is open. Back door is open. I, the, the desire to fight and flee came upon me and Amanda. I ran to the bathroom and hid in the closet. Amanda got the pistol and headed to the door. I saw fight and flight right there. You say you ran? It's the fight and flee. Neither one of them's wrong. One of us fought, one of us fled. I just happened to be the runner. Healthy fear triggers the fight or flight response in our life. The fight response causes us to to defend ourselves against danger. And the flight response warns us to flee a dangerous situation. On the other hand, the spirit of fear is a fear that is imagined and brings torment when the evidence of danger is not real, real or factual. See, a healthy fear causes you to have a legitimate fear of something that could present danger in your life. It will either cause you to fight or it will cause you to flee. An unhealthy fear will cause you to flee or put you in prison or put you in bondage or bind you when the fear is not real. When the fear can be imagined. A healthy fear protects for a moment... A healthy fear protects for a moment. And as soon as the danger passes, the fear also passes. But the spirit of fear paralyzes and persists even when no danger is present. The spirit of fear will torment you. It keeps us from fulfilling our destiny. It keeps us tied to the past instead of moving us forward. It keeps us stagnant. It keeps us from loving ourselves and others the way God intended. It is important that we recognize the spirit of fear in our life and resist it. As those of you who are sitting here this morning and those of you watching me by live stream, just take a moment and, and get honest with yourself. Evaluate yourself for a second and just think about the things you've wanted to do, the adventures you've desired to try, The opportunities you wanted to take advantage of, but fear kept you from it. I wanted to go to school, but I had a fear I'd fail. I wanted to try this all my life, but the fear of doing it has held me back. See, the spirit of fear will imprison you. The spirit of fear is not from God. Understand, number one, the spirit of fear 
is not from God. Look at 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given. Everybody say, has not given. God has not given the, us the spirit of fear. The spirit of fear that holds you back. The spirit of fear that imprisons you. The spirit of fear that torments you. The spirit of fear that harasses you. Really, when fear... When the cause of fear is imagined or really not real, that spirit that continues to torment and harass you, it's not from God. And if there's something that you know it's God's will for your life, if there's a purpose God has for you, if there's a plan God has for you, but if you out of fear are not moving in that direction, you're not fulfilling that plan, you're not taking that step to go... You need to recognize that fear is not of God. It's not God holding you back. And we must fight against that. We read the story of the synagogue ruler who we just read. Who, brought, who came to Jesus saying, my daughter. He didn't bring his daughter. His daughter was at home. He couldn't move her. He said, my daughter is at home dying. And he asked Jesus to come lay his hands on her. And Jesus agrees. But as Jesus is en route to the synagogue's leader's house to pray for her, Jesus is interrupted by another sick lady who touches him, who also believes in the power of divine healing through, the blood of, uh, through Jesus Christ. So she touches the hem of his garment. Those of you who have been around church very long, you know this, you know this story. And Jesus, healing power goes out of Jesus when she touched him. And she gets healed. And Jesus enters into this conversation with her. And we pick it up in verse 25. Mark chapter 5, verse number 25. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal with many doctors. And over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them. Blue cross. She hit her limit on blue cross. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came behind him through the crowd, touched his robe, for she thought to herself, if I can just touch the robe, I will be healed. So Jesus takes time. He ministers to this lady. And since he takes time to minister to her, all of a sudden, time has passed. And by the time Jesus gets finished ministering to this lady, people from the synagogue's leader's house comes and tell him that his daughter had died. And there was no use in bothering Jesus any longer. We pick it up in verse 35. While he was still speaking to her, the messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. Now look at verse 36. Jesus overheard them and said to them, Don't be afraid, just have faith. Now let me me, me share a truth with you that we're seeing today. And that truth is this. Sickness did not stand between life and death. Fear did. Sickness did not stand between life and death. Fear did. And Jesus informs us that sickness cannot repel faith. Did you hear me? Sickness is... Faith is greater than sickness. Sickness cannot repel faith. But fear can. 
even Jesus can't work where there's fear. Even he couldn't work. Jesus, the Son of God, even his faith, his power, was not able to overcome fear. That's why he says, don't be afraid. Stay in faith. Now, on a side note here, on a side note, and this story is very interesting, it's interesting that Jesus removed everyone from the premises who had given in to the spirit of fear. Let me share something with you. When it comes to life and death in your life and in your family, when it comes to life and death in your life, and when it comes to life and death in your family, you've got to separate yourself from everybody who's got death on them. Now, I know we all work with people. Well, I don't. But, but, but most of you work with people who are just negative and speak doubt and unbelief and don't believe. And they're probably not as godly as they need to be and they're carnal. I know we all have. But when it comes to life and death... When it comes to life and death, I'm not talking about the daily routine of the day. I'm talking about life and death situations. You've got to get very picky on who you allow to influence you and who you stay away from. This was a life and death situation. And notice, Jesus removed everybody who didn't speak life. And this might mean separating yourself from some family members. When it becomes life and death, you've got to get real picky on who you hang around and who you allow to influence your life. Look what it says in verse 35. Mark 35. While he was still speaking to the mess, her, her messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is tr- dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. Then, verse 37, then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, Why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave. And he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. When it comes to life and death, you want to surround yourself with life. Because fear can repel faith. Fear is an enemy of God. Even Jesus had to remove it. You see, a lot of people say, well, Jesus could do anything. No, the Bible tells us in Mark chapter 6 that he could do no mighty work in his own hometown because of unbelief. Jesus could do no mighty work. Say he'd lay his hands on a few sick people. But he could do no mighty miracles because people didn't believe. Fear will repel faith every time. I'll tell you something else that will repel faith. Sin will repel faith. Do you remember? remember when Jesus was wanting to heal some people? And he was in the city of Bethsaida. And the Bible says that because he had already cursed the city of Bethsaida because of their unbelief, that to heal this guy, he had to, guide, he had to take the man outside the city limits. Do you remember that story? There's a story in the Bible where Jesus, 
A guy in this city wanted to be healed, and he came to Jesus. Jesus was passing through the city. He came to Jesus to be healed. Now, if you read through the New Testament, every time Jesus, someone, every single instance where people came to Jesus specifically to be healed, he didn't turn a one of them away. He healed everybody. This guy came to Jesus to be healed. They were in the city of Bethsaida, and Jesus wanted to heal him. But before Jesus could heal him, Jesus had to take him outside the city limits because a curse had been placed upon the city because of their doubt and unbelief and fear. When it comes to life and death, you and I must make sure we are around the right kind of people. Even Jesus couldn't do some things when he was surrounded with death and people who believed, who gave in to fear. The spirit of fear, number two, does not come from God because fear is the enemy of faith. Look at Mark chapter 4, Mark chapter 4 verse 35. As evening came, Jesus came, said to his disciples, Let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But as soon a fierce storm came up, high waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Verse 38, Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him, shouting, Teacher, don't you care we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Notice fear repelled faith. He said, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Understand this. When the spirit of fear attacks us, when this thing from hell attacks us. This spirit of fear attacks us. It manifests. You say, how do I know if it's a spirit of fear? It will manifest in anxiety. It will come on you with panic attacks. Racing thoughts. Extreme nervousness. And a feeling of losing control. That's how the spirit of fear gets on people. That's what it looks like. It comes on you with anxiety, panic attacks, racing thoughts, extreme nervousness, and a feeling of losing control. Here's what else I've learned through this COVID situation. The spirit of fear also manifests in the accusing of others and a general irritability that we normally don't possess. I've had more people email me, fussing at me, over things I didn't have a thing to do with. They're just mad. They're angry. They're, they've lost, they feel like they've lost control and they have no answer. So it's just general irritability. they got to fuss. they got to blame somebody. I see this happening in our school system. Our teachers and our... Who in their right mind would want to be a school administrator now? Who in their right mind would want to be a politician now? People are mad. The president didn't start COVID. The, The director of schools didn't start COVID. The principals didn't start COVID. The 
precious school teachers, they didn't start COVID. The doctors didn't start COVID. It was really Vanderbilt football team that started COVID. <laughs> they've never been good at anything, and they've just, they're the ones that started COVID. Yet, these people didn't start, but they're the ones we want to fuss at. Why? Because we feel out of control. There's a general irritability in our nation today. And people are just angry. I was at the store the other day and, and somebody had a, didn't have their mask on. Didn't have the, and a, a lady in line went off on that person. And I'm thinking, you're, they're not talking to you. You're behind them. They're looking that way and you're behind them. You, why are you fussing at them? Why are you fussing? She turned around and looked at me and I put my mask on real quick. <laughs> hey, I'm not no fool. Fight or flight. People are mad. People are angry. Why is that? Because they're scared. The spirit of fear manifests in the accusing of others and an irritability that we normally don't possess. Notice, notice verse 38. Mark chapter 4 verse 30. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him shouting. They're fussing at him. Don't you care? We're going to drown. It's all your fault. You're the one who won't get in this stupid boat. See, there's, he had just healed thousands of people. And now they're fussing at him. Why? They're out of control. They feel out of control. That's what the spirit of fear will do. We are presently living in a season in which the spirit of fear is causing good people to be angry and looking for someone to blame. Don't give in to it. It's the spirit of fear. And when you sense it, resist it. It's not of God. So, what is our vaccine? What is our antidote for the spirit of fear? These racing thoughts, this panic. We hear all this bad news on the television and social media. What is our Vaccine for how can we keep ourselves from getting pulled into that fear? How can we keep ourselves from allowing that that frightening feeling, that panic feeling, that anxiety feeling? How do we keep it from getting on us? How do we do? What is our antidote? What is our vaccine? We'll look at Second Timothy one seven again. Notice what it says: For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love. And sound mind. I'm just going to hit one. The first one. Our vaccine as Christians and unbelievers. Is the spirit of power. God's not given us fear. He's given you power. Your vaccine is understanding the spirit of power. The word power in the original language. Is the word dunamis. It's used. This Greek word is used 119 times. In the New Testament alone. It doesn't just mean a regular rendering of power, but it means the mighty power of God. Listen to what it says. God's not giving you a spirit of fear, causing you to panic, causing you to flee, 
causing you to have racing thoughts, causing you to get nervous, causing you to have anxiety. God's not giving you that. God's giving you the mighty power of God. It means tremendous power. It is where we get our word dynamite, which means explosive power. God's not giving you a spirit of panic. He's not giving you and I a spirit of racing thoughts. He's not giving us a spirit of anxiety. He's given us a spirit of explosive power. Now let me let's get real. Let me help you here. Let me help you. Just as dynamite must be ignited until you ignite the power of God in your life by faith, you'll never see it work. This is the reason some Christ, many Christians today are hid in their homes, scared to go outside. Yet they got ex- mighty God's mighty explosive power resident inside of them, but they've never ignited it. And until you ignite dynamite, it's just danger potential in a box. You've got to ignite it. Let's be real transparent. For years, for you Pentecostals like me, for years being raised in a Pentecostal church, we've heard about the power of God. I tell you, we need more power. We need the power. I tell you, it's the power of God. How many of you have heard about the power of God? We've heard about the power. We've sang for the power. We prayed for the power. But honestly, that's about as much as we've done. We've gotten sore throats screaming for power. The power of God, the mighty power of God, the dunamis power of God is more than talking about it. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, he says, My message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power, the mighty power of God. I did so... I did this so you would not trust in human wisdom, but in the power of God. Listen to what Paul says. He said, I didn't try to reason you into faith. I didn't try to smart you into faith. I didn't try to logically convince you of faith. He said, I let God's mighty power demonstrate faith. But number three, a firm belief that the power of God resides in us is the start of God's power demonstrating through your life. A firm belief. I mean, you can pray for the power of God. You can sing for the power of God. You can beg God for the power of God. You can get with other people and prophesy about the power of God. But until you have a firm belief in your life that the mighty, explosive power of God resides already in you, it will never manifest in your situation. 
John chapter 1 verse 10. He came into the very world he created, talking about Jesus. The world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people and they even rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become the children of God. The King James Version says it in verse 12 like this. He says, but as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. Now, the word power most of the time means dunamis. It means the explosive power of God. It's the word where we get dynamite. But this word in verse 12 of John chapter 1 is not the word dunamis. It's the word exousia. It's the same word power, but it's a different word in the original language. It literally means the right to act. Authority. The right to act. Listen to what he's saying. When Jesus came to live on the inside of you, when you and I accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, how many of you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior? How many? Good. Now guess what? When you did that, He gave you power. He gave you authority. He gave you, now listen, the right to act with His power. He gave you the right to act. And here's what happens. Let me, let me, let me close it with this. Here's what happens. When the spirit of fear attacks us, when fear comes on you, the spirit of fear, it's frightening It's scary. It's often unrelenting. It makes you start nervous. It makes your stomach start getting upset. Maybe headaches. The world starts closing in. Panic attacks. Maybe a racing of your heart. Maybe blood pressure. Increases When the spirit of fear comes on you, you start having feelings that you're losing control. And when those feelings come on us, the mighty explosive power of God that is resident on the inside of us seems non-existent. So most people... Most believers, most Christians, when the spirit of fear comes on them, they resist, they withdraw, they hide, they run and get in the closet, they, 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 they back up. You know why? Because the feelings of the spirit of fear are greater than the spirit of power. Because we keep waiting for this spirit of power that God talks about for some feeling to come on us. And when fear comes on us, we don't have the feeling of power. Sure, when fear comes on us, if all of a sudden God's power came on us, we'd charge after it. But when the spirit of fear comes on us, it causes us to get back. And we're waiting for some feeling of explosive power to fight it. And if we don't have that feeling of explosive power, it just drives us into a corner, the spirit of fear. And you and I must at that moment 
have a firm belief that regardless of how much fear we are sensing, how many panics are coming against us, how much anxiety that is after me at this moment, we must have a firm belief that I've got a right to act on the power of God by faith. And if I can resist that fear and act by faith that the power of God is resident in me, so I'm going to talk like it's resident, I'm going to act like it's resident, that's when the power of God gets ignited and it explodes in your situation. I know what I'm talking about. For one solid year, I was a prisoner in my home. I was bound by paranoia. I wouldn't hardly get out of my house. I thought everybody was against me. I couldn't sleep at night. Everything looked dim. I'd tell Amanda, go turn the lights on in the middle of the day. She said, Eddie, you got every light on in the house. I had a, it felt like a band wrapped around my head, just squeezing. I lived with a constant headache. I was bound by fear. I wouldn't go around people. I wouldn't talk to people. My memory started leaving me. I couldn't remember. Amanda will tell me to this day. Do you remember when Tyler, Tyler was one year, that was his first year of his life. Amanda would say, do you remember when we did this, when Tyler was one? I don't remember. I couldn't remember people's names. Fear. It controlled my life. I'd had images of being them coming and getting me and taking me to a mental hospital. My grandmother died in a mental hospital. Back then they called them mental asylums. My grandmother died in one of them and I knew that. I kept thinking they're coming to get me next. Racing thoughts, anxiety. Lived in a state of nervousness all day long. One day in total desperation, Amanda begged me all week long to go with her to eat breakfast and go to the grocery store. She had done it. She said, we're going to go on Saturday morning. Would you go with me? She said, you haven't been out of this house in weeks. Would you go with us? I said, I'll try. So I worked up the courage all week long. And we went to Cracker Barrel. Glory to God. Can I get an amen for Cracker Barrel? We just sat down. They'd taken our order. And all of a sudden, the spirit of fear came on me. It felt like the room started closing in. All the voices got louder. My heart started racing. I broke out in a sweat. I started rubbing my head. Amanda said, what's wrong? I said, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. I got to get out. She said, don't leave. Don't leave. I said, it's killing me. I got to get out of here. And I got up and ran to the car. You know, when you walk away and leave a country boy breakfast, it's the devil. That's not God. That's the devil. And... uh, 
Finally, her and little Tyler came to the car. I'm crying. She's crying. She says, what do you want to do? I said, take me home. She said, well, I've got to go get groceries. I said, well, take me home first. She takes me home, drops me off. I walk inside, go into our little den. I'm ringing up here for some reason. And uh, I fall down face first into the carpet. And I just started crying out, oh God, I'm losing my mind. Would you come and help me? I'm going crazy. I was just sobbing. Face first in the carpet, just sobbing. I'm going crazy. I'm losing my mind. And I just wept. I don't know how long I wept. Hopelessness on me. And then something suddenly got my attention. I thought, has somebody walked in this room? And I lifted up my head. And when I lifted up my head, there in front of me was a man's feet and some he was wearing sandals and I thought it might have been my neighbor that had come from across the street he saw me come in maybe run inside and he thought something was wrong so I shocked got up on my hands and knees and I looked up and it wasn't my neighbor it was the Lord Jesus I mean it happened just like me and you looking at one another he looked at me and he said Eddie what would you have me do for you? I said, Lord Jesus, I'm losing my mind. These thoughts, they're killing me. They're killing me. He looked at me and he said, Eddie, there's your problem. And he pointed to the corner of the room. And there in the corner of the room where there used to be furniture, there wasn't no furniture there was two monkey looking creatures now see here's what I'll tell you that I learned through that experience when you get in the realm of the spirit how many of you know there's a natural realm and there's another realm called the spirit realm when you get into the realm of the spirit you know things that you hadn't learned in school remember what the bible says when we get to the other side we'll be we'll know now we know in part but then we'll know fully when you get into the realm of the spirit you just automatically know things This was in 1987. I'd never been taught on demons. I'd heard about demons all my life being in church. But I'd never had any teaching on demons. But when the Lord said, look, there's your problem. And I looked to the corner of the room. And where furniture used to be, there was two little monkey-looking creatures about three foot high. And they were huddled up into the corner shaking. They had hair all over their bodies. I immediately knew in my spirit at that time those were demons. Do you know Jesus didn't do any... I'll just fast forward the vision. Jesus didn't do anything about those demons. He didn't rebuke them. He didn't cast them out. You know what he said to me? There's your problem. People said, well, after that vision, a lot of things happened. A lot of things he said to me. Don't have time to get into it. But people said... Well, did you have problems after that vision? I guess when he disappeared, I guess you got free. No, I still had racing thoughts. I still dealt with panic attacks. I still dealt with the spirit of fear. Paranoia still wanted to keep me in my house. He didn't do anything about the demons. He'd already done something 
to them 2,000 years ago. Remember what he said? There's your problem. He has given me, when I became a child of the Most High God, when he... When you became a child of the Most High God, He gave you power. He gave you the right to act. And when that spirit of fear comes on you, you have to draw out of faith's reservoir your right to act in spite of all the frightening and scary feelings you are feeling at that moment. And if you'll draw from that reservoir of faith your right to act, then the power of God will be ignited in your life and it will explode with dunamis and it will cause fear to leave you. But most Christians don't do that. We let fear and its feelings rock us on our heels. And it's time we act on what's inside of us. The mighty power of God. God has not given you the spirit of fear but power. Act on that power. Stand with me, would you? Now if you're here today and I I just want to pray a general prayer. If you're here today and as you've listened to this message you said, you know there's fear that's kept me from doing things I wanted to do. Some places I wanted to go, some things I wanted to do, some opportunities I wanted to try, but fear kept me, and I don't want to allow fear to keep me any longer. If that's been you, raise your hand. If you've allowed fear to keep you, all right? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we rebuke the spirit of fear. Fear, you're a liar. You're a cheat. You're a destroyer. We call you for what you are. And we rebuke you in the name of Jesus. And I'm asking that the truth of the word of God will settle in people and help them to act upon it in Jesus' name. This week and the week to come. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Now let me pray a blessing over you. Father, I thank you that no evil shall befall the people of Family Worship Center. No plague can come nigh them. The angels of God encamp about them to keep them in all their ways. No terror, no terrorist. COVID, flus, viruses, you stay away from the people of Family Worship Center. Holy Spirit, give them wisdom. Order their steps, direct their paths. Show them, don't go here, don't do this. Take care of yourself here. Let them be led by your spirit this coming week. In Jesus' name, protect our children. Protect our children in the schools. Protect our teachers. Protect our administrators. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Have a great week.